God's been speaking to us so clearly about discipleship. And uh, that's an undeniable thread. And when God says something once, that's time to pay attention. When God starts saying things multiple times, that's where we really need to focus in and concentrate on what he's saying and how it applies to our lives. Because so often we can hear God. I mean, you know, if I was to say to you, you know, what did God say to you six years ago? Could you tell me clearly? And sometimes I think that when God says certain things, and I'm speaking as much to myself as anyone else, sometimes when God has told us certain things, it's easy to forget. It's easy to overlook the value of an importance. But this is the same voice, the same language that created the universe with his mouth. And so when he speaks to us and he, and he starts to show us things, these are, these are creation moments personally if we'll embrace them. And we take them seriously. And I really, I really just want to drill down a little bit on discipleship. It's a subject that's very close to my heart, as many of you know. And uh, uh, we're going to go. We're going to jump in on that right now. So I got a lot of notes to get through. And I don't know whether this is going to go teach, preach, or galaxy. <laughs> Completely honest. But I can tell you, we're going to have some fire falling. Okay. What is galaxy? You ask. I don't know. Let's go there. Okay, <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about legacy for a second because legacy is such a powerful word that's being thrown around today and I want to talk about it because, you know, this whole thing with discipleship really is a passing of a baton. My wife just took up the offering and she passed the baton to me and I stepped into the, the atmosphere that she's just been walking in. She just stepped down from the worship team, which he's also a part of, and the worship team built an atmosphere that we worshipped into. Amen. And there's a passing of a baton. And legacy looks like, I've, I've written a couple of notes here that I'm going to read because once I get going, there'll be just spit and splatter. And, you know, I want to have a little bit of structure and then we'll just, we'll just launch off the jetty and see where we end up. Legacy is the building upon a previous wealth of establishment. It's the building upon a previous or the passing of a previous wealth and establishment. It's an accumulated wealth of experience, wisdom, and anointing as it pertains to the church. Okay? Now, the greatest legacy that we have is the legacy that heaven sent in the form of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, and his response at the end, all power and authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now I give it to you. Go therefore and make disciples. The power of delegation is channeled through disciples. And that's, that's what I want to say here real quick is that, is that legacy is the dream of heaven. Discipleship is the vehicle that God has seen fit to steward legacy generationally. You with me? Is it okay that I teach for a little bit? Because <clears throat> I know that Pastor Don was ripping it last night, but I just want to lay some line upon line for a second so that we can get a couple of things. Inheritance is what you give to somebody. An inheritance, when, when my wife and I pass away, if Jesus hasn't come back, my wife and I pass away, our children will get legal letters that state that they now own everything that we have ever accumulated. 
That is an inheritance. Watch this. Legacy is what you do or put into someone's life. Come on now. Inheritance is a material thing that I can give you. Legacy is a spiritual deposit I can place in you. Come on. Legacy comes from coaching, not cheerleading. You guys ever been down to the football field lately? Our company did a job right down next to the, uh, is it the Chicago, uh, the Chargers? The Chargers, yeah, the Chargers base camp that moved in here. And uh, we did some work and you can see them Chargers, they're, they're training, they're off-season and on-season, they're doing all kinds of training. And can I just tell you that the, the coach is not running around giving them cupcakes. He's not walking around patting them on the back saying, they're there, Johnny. He's screaming at them like a sergeant major, like a drill sergeant. Okay, and it, Because he understands that certain things will not be extracted from a life unless a certain level of pressure is applied. Okay, I know what I'm going to do right now, and I just love because I was laughing before when I was at my house. I was like, well, I'm going to pat the cat the wrong way today because <laughs> I'm good at that. I've got a pat the cat wrong way hand that God has gifted me with because our, our, this generation, this, this, this generation on the earth, we've been taught differently, and I'm sorry to tell you, you've been taught wrong. And I'm not here to teach you the three steps how to. I'm not here to show you this is how this person succeeded. We're here to talk about the structure and the template of heaven. Period. Because we're sons and daughters of God, right? Right. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. So this is what I want to say. Legacy is heaven's dream. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, stop there. We don't, I'm not going to go on to the rest of it because you do need to get rid of your sin. That's awesome. Otherwise, it's going to slow you down. But therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, Brother, Don here, uh, Brother Ron here was sharing a story about how he was in a church and they had an open heaven where uh, a young man was getting saved and they looked up and everyone had an open vision seeing Jesus with his mother that had passed away watching her son get saved. The cloud of witnesses, who is it? It's the saints. It's the people that went ahead of you. Why would they be watching you when they can look at Jesus? Why would they want to look at you when they could be looking at the throne? Because there is a legacy that they left, that they have vested interest in seeing being multiplied and expanded. Paul talked about that he had an account. It wasn't a monetary account. It was a spiritual account. And it was fruit that he was looking to get in and through people. <laughs> Come on, let's get wrecked. <laughs> Come on, God. Shaka Baba, I just need to get past this and then we're going to just... <laughs> Legacy is heaven's dream, not your permission to be great. There 
there's, a, there's an insect. I love the outdoors. There's an insect that I have a lot of issues with. And there's actually probably a few of them that you have as well. You guys ever heard of the praying mantis? That guy's got a bad deal. Now listen, the boy praying mantis, he takes the girl praying mantis on a date. And they try and make a family. And as soon as she realizes a family's on the way, she eats them. That is a bad deal. And that's the picture of today's opinion of discipleship. As soon as you get what you need, you devour the person that gave it to you. Can I go there today? Shaka Baba. <laughs> Watch this. For Jesus did not consider it robbery to call himself equal with the Father, yet he humbled himself even to the point of death. You want to talk about discipleship? Come on, let's go there. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Jesus was so awesome. He is so awesome that he didn't have an identity issue where he was a beggar. He was a son that's a co-heir, co-ruler with Father, our Father as it happens, and yet submission was perfected in the garden. I mean, really throughout his life, but you can see it exemplified in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where there's clearly a battle between what the Father has asked him to do and what he wants to do. Because if he had wanted to go to the cross, there would have not been great drops of blood. One of the problems with our generation is we think that everything that we want to do is what God's asking us to do. I'm going to say that again because that's a hard pill to swallow. One of the problems with our generation is that we believe that everything we want to do is what God has been asking us to do. But I'm looking at Jesus and it didn't look like that, did it? <laughs> Jesus didn't get an anointing and a revelation and disconnect from the Father and start his own business. Didn't have a church split with the Father. Satan did that and everybody figured it out. Doesn't work. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about discipleship because discipleship is the stewardship for legacy that God has given us. And before I, before I jump into the, the meat of what I want to get to, I want to ask us this. Jesus spends three and a half years with 12 guys. One of them's a devil. We already know that. So let's just say 11. Let's cut to the chase. He spends three and a half years with 11 people. Three and a half years with the king every day. Those men go on to turn the world upside down. Man, I just feel God in here right now. I know I'm teaching. I'm not even preaching yet, but I just feel God in here. We need to get this, guys. These men turn the world upside down. Fast forward 2,019 years, and our idea of kingdom is church attendance.
Jesus clearly showed a model of discipleship. And it was a father-son discipleship, by the way. I'm not, I don't have time to get into it now, but he's actually, Jesus actually referred to his father. I preached on it a few weeks back. Now, that's gonna, that messed with me when I read that. You read it, read it, read it, read it a hundred times, and then all of a sudden you go, wait a minute. Jesus is a father? Yeah, Jesus was a father to those 11. And they changed the world. How did they change the world? Because they didn't change the world by building their own ministry. The kingdom that we work and live and serve in is a kingdom of service, not greatness. There's only one that's been appointed great. (laughs) So how does the kingdom multiply? It multiplies walking with Jesus, submitting to men or women, and discipling men or women. Now, in this church, if you're a local, you understand that we men disciple men, women disciple women. There'd be a whole lot more problems, a whole lot less problems if we go that route, huh? Just a little bit of wisdom. But anyways, my question that I want to just challenge every person in this room with, what if perfect discipleship had have taken place from the time of the cross till now? What percentage would be run by kingdom today if we had followed the model of discipleship? Question. Someone getting this? In this territory, there's just a big independent thing where everyone just does their own thing and I'm going to start my ministry and everyone's talking about their ministry. It's like, come on, man. Who have you ever walked with? Who's, who's speaking into your life? Those kinds of questions. That was the first, when we moved here and we saw that, we're like, what is going on? It's easy to put a jacket on and get a name tag and pretend like you're something until it all falls apart. Okay, so I just want to jump into a couple of scriptures. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, very well-known passage. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to start reading. Behold, I will send... This is, by the way, this is the last statement of the Old Testament. So for me, it's very important. Because when God is... There's just certain things that you need to pay attention to. And when God's coming to the end of a season and He says something, it's very important. There's lots of times... Basically, every time God speaks is very important. But there's certain... Times, ways, and seasons that when God says certain things, we have to pay so much attention. God is now, he's basically bringing something to a conclusion and he's speaking. Watch this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Now, Elijah, it speaks about the spirit of prophecy. Okay? The spirit of prophecy. I'll send uh, you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting topic, and I've talked about that other times, but great and dreadful day of the Lord. That word dreadful is there on purpose. Okay, God is not coming back riding on a My Little Pony. He's coming back, the war king of heaven. He came as the lamb, this time he's coming as a lion. Okay, okay, and he's not coming for daycare, he's coming for a glorious bride. And a glorious bride is one that's actually, like brother, Pastor Jeff uh, shared the other day, is one that's actually in line, mobilized, under authority and walking in the anointing. Not just, help, just, not just the pastor, the people. All of us. And when I say the people, that's 
all of us. You get that? We need to stop having an us and them mentality. It's not us and them, it's us. Sons and daughters of the living God. Amen? For the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And watch this. And He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now that's an interesting thought because He's telling us that there's a generational disconnect He's not saying, keep doing it, guys. You're doing awesome. He's saying there's something wrong and the hearts of the fathers need to reconnect with the sons, but equally the hearts of the sons need to reconnect with the fathers. Then it goes on and says this. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. You know, what, you know what that curse actually is? Holy Ghost spoke to me one day. You know how it says all creation eagerly waits, groans in anticipation for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. You can't be a son unless you're being fathered. Can't be a daughter unless you're being fathered. Mothered. If you're not walking as a son, the earth goes into a place of darkness. Because we are here to reveal kingdom. We are here to bring Jesus. Amen? So us walking in that will cause the world to have hope. You guys ever heard of like, you know, oh, back in the old days, the, you know, the, the medieval times, otherwise known as the dark ages? Hello? Oh, you mean the time when the Catholic Church kept the scriptures in Latin so people couldn't read them and no one had access to the word and no one was being discipled and the only ones that had access to God apparently were priests who were actually probably devils and there was a severing of the fathers and the sons. The dark ages. Okay. There are two types of discipleship you're going to need in your life. If you want to write anything, you can write it. I don't know where this is going right now, but I'm just feeling fire of God. There are two types of discipleship you need in your life. And can I just address something, guys? If we're truly going to walk with God, we have to put away the Christian buffet mentality. You don't get to pick and choose how you want it to be. This is not Build-A-Bear. My little boy went to Build-A-Bear recently. He came back with Fluffy. He put Jesus in his heart, huh? When he was building him, he said, I want to put Jesus in his heart. That's pretty cool. I'll say this. Little boy don't learn that. Five years old don't learn that. Actually, he was just, he was just four and almost five. Little boy don't learn that unless mum and dad are speaking that. And it's easy to understand that on elementary talking about a five-year-old boy. But then we grow up in church and we think we don't need anyone to tell us anything. Okay, okay. There are two types of discipleship and you need both. The first one, your walk of being discipled with Jesus. I want to say this first and foremost. You cannot go to people to bypass what you refuse to get from God privately. You cannot try and get in a mentoring situation what you're refusing to have with God secretly, privately, intimately. Jesus is the greatest discipler. He sent Holy Spirit to be our teacher. 
if you're not listening to his voice, you need to change the dial and turn off Netflix. You need to turn off Facebook where you're getting every single opinion filling your head where you just don't have any time to stop and think. That's why the Bible says be still and know that I'm God. Because in that moment, he will speak to you like a son. And can I say this, guys? God is not always going to say, there, there, Sally. Sometimes he's going to say, I don't like what you did there. And we need to hear that. See, I read in Proverbs when I was a young man that a wise man values correction. And I didn't like that a lot. But as I've got older, I like correction. You know why? Because it removes from me dysfunction. And it empowers me with safety. Protection. It removes aspects of weakness. And it girds me with strength. Come on, somebody. The devil wants you to have... No ears and no eyes. Because here's the, here's the deal. A man thinks he's good in his own eyes. And then his other conscience comes, no, to somebody else from the outside. comes Because we're proud creatures, man. I don't care how humble you can pretend and fool everyone. We are proud creatures. I don't care how spiritual, how many times you've been to heaven. You might not have heard this from a preacher before. We are proud creatures. You start doing well. Did you see how I did there? Praise the Lord. But you weren't praising the Lord. You were the Lord in that little statement. (laughs) Praise the Lord. It's true. It's true. (laughs) We need to shift our value system and start to desire. It's not that we're looking for the negative reports all the time. Because I believe that encouragement is just as important as correction. Affirmation. Being affirmed. Is just as important as correction. But if all you look for, and believe me, your human nature, my human nature, really, if we're really honest, we just want people to tell us we're awesome. And the second someone disagrees with your Facebook post, you are manifesting a legion of demons. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I just felt this righteous indignation rise up on the inside of me. Beelzebub. It's amazing how Christians can come up with amazing terminology just to excuse the fact that we're just being little rebel brats. (laughs) So it's so important that we are discipled by Jesus. Now, there's no easy way to say this. It takes time. And what I mean by that is not years. It takes time for you stopping and paying attention to him every day. How are you doing today, Jesus? What's your feelings today, Jesus? Just simple stuff. Where should I get coffee today, Jesus? Come on. Are we submitted or are we not? Because I know I'm rattling some cages just saying, where should I get coffee? I like Starbucks. (laughs) Well, maybe he wants you at coffee, bean and tea leaf today. Stop it. (laughs) And maybe there's an awesome reason like someone being saved there. 
And we just need to stop for a minute and just be still and be discipled by him. But if you can't hear, hey, would you go to Toffee Bean and Tea Leaf? There's someone there that's getting ready to take their life and you're their last hope. Then you're never going to hear, hey, man, you've been walking this way your whole life and can you, will you let me dismantle something? You'll never listen to that. And the reason I'm going after God first is because that's the one we don't listen to. And when we don't listen to God, he sends people. And when he sends people and we don't listen, he brings circumstances. That's the hard part. Because you have to listen to circumstances. You can't deny that they're not there. So, so let's just go into this for a second. I want to read a couple of things. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Very well-known passage. A lot of these are very well-known passages. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus is inviting each one of us because the problem with well-known scriptures is that they're well-known. You've read them so many times, the wax from your finger has created a glossy section over the page. And when you get to it, you go into autopilot. You guys ever see that movie Click, that Adam Sandler movie Click? Where just certain things just quit, they just shift in life. And just, he's living his life and he's given this special remote. And uh, he's really wanting to focus on his work and get really awesome. And so he meets this guy and the guy gives him a remote that actually puts him into cruise control. And we go into cruise control when we hear well-known scriptures and we miss out on some of the greatest gold. Jesus isn't just giving a cliche statement. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take a bus. Oh, that's a figurative cross. That's not literal. He's not really saying deny yourself. He's just saying be good. Okay. So if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, not one time when you came front to the front of church, daily, and follow me. So here's the deal. This is not an invitation up Calvary because Jesus already took care of Calvary. This is an invitation into authentic discipleship with the Son of God who also is our brother. He's showing us that his life was not conference to conference, not main event to main event. It was walking and hanging out with people, denying what he really wanted to do in order to fulfill a greater legacy. Oh, but I've got this 10-year plan. Yeah, cool. God's going to work in the midst of your life. But are you here so that you can be great? Or are you here so that he can be great? It sounds so cliche, but this is some of the most weighty things I can say to you. When we get to heaven, I think, I was telling someone uh, the other day, when we get to heaven, we're going to have some of the hugest, most grotesque shocks. Because all of the, I'm not going to use the word all, but a huge percentage of the people you call heroes in the church might not be at the front. I know that's shocking to some of you because you've built a hero system. But I worship Jesus. I don't worship heroes. <laughs> I honor heroes, but I don't worship them. Okay. Okay. 
Whoever desires, desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Okay, so how can we truly be on fire when we're trying to hold on to being in control of how our life turns out? Really? Because being on fire looks like laying down everything I thought was important in order to build him something. I'm going to leave that and jump over that because I have a lot of I have a lot to get through. I'm going to. This is going to be a long service today, <laughs> and there's a big one coming tonight. We have Pastor Don, and he is going to tear it up. Okay, so I'm just the primer. I'm just the primer here. We're just we're just going deep. Okay, we must learn to uh, we must learn to listen to Holy Spirit and develop a relationship with Him. He was sent to be the face of God as our teacher. Okay, so. I'm not going to sit here and teach you how to be discipled by God. This is what I'm going to say. Make time for him. Go sit in a room by yourself. Turn off your phone. Turn off your computer. Turn off your TV. Maybe have some worship playing quietly in the background. You need, this, one of the greatest contentions for this generation right now is media. It has been fashioned as a weapon to harness your attention and bring premium level distractions so that you won't hear his whispers. And not just in the moment while you're looking at stuff, getting in your mind to consume your mind so that you're thinking about it when you're not even looking at it. How am I going to respond to that tweet? Oh, did you just see what they posted? See, now when you go to Starbucks and not, not coffee, bean, tea leaf, you've got something to talk about with your friends. That's what the Bible says. It talk, it's in the book of Revelation. Talked about the beast. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that the beast is here, but this is what I'm going to say. The beast made war with the saints to wear out their minds. Why would the enemy want to wear out the minds of the saints? When in Romans, it tells me that my mind needs to be transformed by the renewing of the washing of the word. God wants your mind, so does the enemy. You've got to be still, guys. You have to give God room, time, and space. I can tell you in my 20s, two to three times, the, the people that Molly and Bex, before I was even dating Bex, people knew that two, three nights a week, I wasn't bowling, I wasn't out with, at the club, I wasn't at, at a coffee drink or down at the yacht club, I wasn't doing any of that stuff. I had fun, I had a great life, but I was out, I was out in the field in a small national park that I'd drive to an hour at night after work after praying for an hour on the Holy Ghost, and I'd drive an hour and say, God, it's not enough. And I'd stand out there for two, three hours, sometimes till two in the morning, till the dew was on the ground, wet, calling out to God. God, I need you to come and speak to me. I need your voice. It's not enough to sit in a church service and hear your voice. I've got to hear you for myself. I've got to see you for myself. This can't just be religion. This has to be Intimacy. Guys, we have to stop worshipping the heroes and their stories. And we have to get this for us. We have to go beyond that. Where we say, God, I don't, and, and can, I, can I just say this? We have to stop because we've seen so much bull manure. That we think that we're supposed to have an encounter with God so we can tell it to people. 
so that we can put it on social media so someone will finally recognize how awesome we are. So we can get the next healing so we can manipulate it for ourselves. Some of the greatest things that have happened to me, no one knows about. You know, it's like we need to come back to the purity of the gospel. Do you notice that it says in, in a lot of the gospels, while it was still morning, before dark, while Peter was still snoring and cutting down half the forest, Jesus gets up and he goes out to pray. Do you notice that it doesn't say what he did with the Father on all those occasions? And he departed from there and went up into the hills. Why, why doesn't it say it? Because it's none of your business. <laughs> but it does say, everything I do, I've seen my Father do. And everything I say, He's been speaking to me. If we'd just be discipled by God, we'd make our spiritual parents' job so much easier. You know, it's so much better to hear Holy Spirit say, hey, listen, you need to put some deodorant on. I just got a word of knowledge, Old Spice. It's much easier to have that, single people, than the person that you've got a crush on coming up to you and going, then you go crying to your pastor, like, I was just trying to talk to them. Well, listen, man. It sounds funny, but God actually wants to be involved in that level. He wants to be involved in little details. Been a couple of times in my life where I felt like, no, I need to stay here, just do this a little bit longer. And I felt like, part of me was like, I need to get in the car and drive over there. No, not just yet. And then when you do, it's not even necessarily that God announces himself. You just get unctions. You just get like, I just, no, I just, no, I just need to sit here for a minute. And then you drive down the road 45 minutes later and you drive past the cataclysmic crash. Come on. Just little details of just listening to God, being discipled by God, discipled by Jesus. Can I just, can I just say this? If, if I could, I would do you the greatest favor of erasing your idea of church culture and giving you a Bible and saying, please meet Jesus, minus the modern church. Because maybe, just maybe, we'd stop looking for something that actually isn't in the kingdom of heaven, and we'd start meeting God on a whole nother level. Okay, second one. This is the one I want to major in. Okay, The reason I can't drill down too much into your being discipled with Jesus is because you need to go after it yourself. I'm not going to sit here and give you framework because then you'll build a temple on the Mount of Transfiguration, turn it into a religion. Go and do it for you. Be with Jesus yourself. If he's not talking right away, wait a little longer. Just because you can complain it in and out when they didn't serve you fast enough doesn't mean God is your waiter. Okay. (laughs) Okay, this is great. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Okay, now I'm going to talk about being discipled by a mature father or mother. Come on, all the spiritual mothers. We need spiritual mothers as much as we need spiritual fathers. Okay? See, my wife, in our house, my wife brings such a beautiful nurturing to my boys, but I bring an identity and a security to my boys. Both are valid. None of this American church rubbish that says it's only men. 
We're going to preach on that in just a minute. I've got the sermon ready to go. I'm just waiting for the all go from the boss. Because this territory's been taught that women can't preach, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. And they can just go and burn there. Okay, so Philippians 2 verse 19, but I trust, this is Paul talking now, okay? Spiritual father. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Watch this. I have no one else like this guy that I have raised as a son that will, watch this, sincerely care for your state. Now let's read on a little further. This is the key right here. For all seek their own. We're in a generation where everyone wants a moment. See, this is, this is, you go out into the workplace, if I could just get my big break. And that is in the church right now. That is in modern American church culture, and it is wrong. Jesus did never, ever give us the idea that he was waiting for his big break. His big break was when they put him on a cross. One of the things that ticks me off the most is when people try and do the whole network ministry thing. I went up to a friend of mine. I'm not even going to do that because I'm not into name dropping, but he's a well-known minister and he had a, he had a school recently and he invited me to come. He had a really cool event happening and he invited me to come and he got me up to share for a little bit on a couple of things and he said, oh, you know, Andrew's got these really awesome prophetic books and he turned to me and said, have you got some here? And I said, no. I said, this is your event and he told me after, he said, I am so shocked. He said, because everybody I know that would do anything like that would bring their whole little plethora and their little stand to promote themselves. I said, that's not, this is your thing. And I'm not trying to pump myself up. I'm just saying that maybe I've got a little something in God. I've got a lot of other things to learn. Maybe I've got a little something in God that we're not here to promote ourselves and sell products. We're here as servants. Okay. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now, he's talking in reference to kingdom potential people that he could have sent. He's not talking about unsafe people. He's talking about people in the church. Shaka Baba. But watch this. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. Can I just say this? We need to divorce the idea 100% right now today. Don't need to take 10 years to walk through a process of letting go and having a little pet cemetery funeral. We need to walk through the process right now today of letting go. It's just me and Jesus. That is the biggest lie from hell. Because when he descended, he, when he ascended, he first descended and then he ascended and what? He gave gifts to men. Who were the gifts? (laughs) Come on, book of Ephesians. They were men. Or they were really roles is what he was talking about. Leadership roles. Apostolic leadership roles. That's people that are to father, mother, and lead the church. That does not mean the guy holding the microphone necessarily. Because I believe that when Jesus is coming back, he's coming back for a glorious bride, not a fat one that sits in TiVos, which service they're going to watch. Come on. Come on. Thank 
an engaged kingdom where everybody is active all day, every day. Looking, God, where's the next one? I, I've said it before. That is it Hacksaw Ridge, that movie, Hacksaw Ridge? You guys have seen that movie, Hacksaw Ridge? It came out a couple of years back. I, I'm, listen, I try and be real emotional. I don't cry much. When I do cry, you can bet it's for real. <laughs> but I cried when I watched that movie. I cried like a baby because I watched this guy, this young man. He refused to carry a, a, a weapon, and he got sent, I think it was into the Japanese, it was like a Japanese island in the Pacific, I believe. <coughs> and his, the, the Japanese were so well fortified that they were just taking out the troops. And there was wounded people everywhere. And this young man was a believer. He was a man of God. At least as the story portrays it. I believe it's a, brand, it's a true story. This young man runs into the battlefield after the army has retreated. And he's running through the night. And he's saying to God, God, give me one more. And he's getting, he's getting a guy that's bleeding out and dying. And he's dragging him while the enemy's shooting at him. Come on. And then he's running straight back. No one else is. They're all safe back in cover. He's doing it by himself. And I just pray that at some point we could see a church, not just one, but a church that starts to adopt that where everyone starts to pick up the mandate of the cross and begins to honour the legacy that Jesus gave all for, that we'd stop being fat, Little Christian sumo wrestlers that lay down and look good but have no punch. I want you to see this. Timothy had proven character and he worked like, like son with his father. Let me paint a picture of what that looked like. And I want you to understand the importance because everything God did, everything he does is definitively on purpose. When Jesus is born into the family, Mary and Joseph, Joseph we know was a carpenter, as far as we know, obviously he grew up a little bit, but probably somewhere around the age of seven or eight, he probably started helping dad. And let's say some 24 years, he worked as an apprentice. And probably as he got a little older, he probably just was, you know, he's fully qualified at what he did. Only takes a few years to get really good at that kind of stuff. He worked as son with father. And he served his father in his trade. And what happens when... See, I've done two apprenticeships. You turn up the first day. I, the very first day, I was out of school, and you've got all this, like... You're used to doing, like, quizzes and exams and weird science things and taking your deodorant can and lighting it and stuff like that, which is... <laughs> I did that stuff, okay? And I evaded most of the consequences. But anyways... Uh, <laughs> You're in a mindset where you've been learning, 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 and people give you information and you give it back to them on a piece of paper. True? And that's supposed to be called intelligent. Anyways, maybe it is a little bit. But they already had it, so they <laughs> silly joke. But then you cro I crossed over 
And I turned up at a job site one day with a brand new builder's apron. And I thought I was so cool. I had a brand new hammer. I'd gone and got out a little, you know, I'd had some savings and I'd got all my tools and just everything was so clean. And I was like, yeah, what's up? And I, t- I turned up on this job site and I was a kid. Back, I thought I was pretty cool. I was a little nervous because you don't know anything. And these burly men that had, you know, you know, ripped up tough, calloused hands and sunburnt faces walked out and they said, are you Andrew? I said, yes. <laughs> they said, what we're going to do today is we're going to climb up on the joist. And it was real thick New Zealand accent. And that's the framing between the floor. You've got concrete, then you've got your walls, and then you've got the framing for the next floor, except there was no floor on top of the wood. And I'd never done that before. And if you've ever seen a spider monkey, <laughs> they were all just walking along like this, and they were holding big, you know, uh, uh, like, I don't know, six meter, like 25 foot beams of big, thick, you know, 10 by twos. And they're walking around like ballerinas, just totally balanced. I was up there like this, <laughs> freaking out, man. As you think you turn up, you think you know what's about to happen, and then you get put in a situation where experience outmatches zeal. And all your brand new, all their tools were like rusted and but well worn. And I had all the brand new stuff that didn't mean nothing. Your gifts, your talents, your abilities that think are so important will not stand in the day of battle. You need a father. And over time, they tutored me and they taught me. And I'm a hands-on guy. It's like sitting in a classroom, you'll learn a certain extent. But put it in my hands, I'm going to start to figure it out. And so over time, it took me a couple of years, and I started to really learn this. And, you know, over time, I was able to build houses until I was the guy that had the worn uh, hammer. And the, you know, the the kind of the not-so-pretty. And as it goes on, you start to realize that the brand-new apron isn't as attractive as the one that's built several houses. And you start to appreciate the way that your hammer feels in your hand. It just starts to sit right. Yeah? And, and, and all of your tools, you, just, you don't even need to look down where they are. They just... <laughs> See, I'd seen some sketchy movies when I was younger, and every time the skill saw started, I was like just imagining. I've got, I'm very prophetic. Before I knew I was prophetic, I didn't realize I was going to have this problem. But I was just very visual. And every time it's like something and there's dust flying, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what if it slips and cuts my finger off? And you just, but then after a couple of years, you just, no problems. I got this. Just cut things up, take things. But next thing, there's a beautiful structure. And one day, my boss came to me. I was the youngest guy in the company. I'd been trained, and I'd, because of my diligence, I'd actually accelerated very quickly. But I didn't become diligent by sitting and doing it myself. I became diligent because a skilled tradesman was over my shoulder, partnered with me, and I worked with him long enough where I began to figure out the tricks. Because you can be strong, but you'll never do it as fast as someone that even is a little weaker, but knows the secrets. We called it the tricks of the trade. These little things, if I do it this way, it's just going to be less waste and it's going, to, it's going to come together so much faster. And I started to really understand that was, but one day my boss came to me and I was, I think I was 19. I was young. 
but I'd accelerated so much. And he says, my boss built uh, custom homes. Came to me at 19 years old, and he said, we've got another five-bedroom house we're going to build, and this is your one. You're going to build it. And I was like, really? And at the time, compared to the first day that I showed up on the job, full of zeal and like, yeah, I've got this. At that time, I was actually a little nervous. Like, are you sure? Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not totally sure if I can do... He's like, you can do this. I've been watching you. You see? And his confidence in me caused my confidence to rise. And even as I stepped out those first few, and I did it well, and those first few houses that I started to build, I still needed his voice. Hey, do it this way. You know, how are you going to go about this section of the Do it this way. And I started, and his voice, I'd shifted. I wasn't an apprentice anymore. I was a fully qualified carpenter. But his voice guided me. You always need the voice of wisdom, the voice of experience. Never, ever, I don't care how successful that you believe you've become, get to a point where you don't believe that you need someone's voice. And not just the voice of encouragement, sometimes the voice of a challenge. Why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? We need this, guys. Okay. I barely got past my first scripture. So... (laughs) Paul, look, can I just say this, guys? We have a culture. If you go back to apostolic times and with the epistles, the guys doing most of the traveling, as far as I understand it, were guys that were very well seasoned that actually would bring something to the church. Now we live in a generation where someone that's gone three months through Bible school is going to set up an itinerary. They've got a shiny tool belt. Get what I'm saying? We need to understand that God's going to walk us through a process. Moses, get this, Moses was a man skilled and trained side by side with Pharaoh. He was trained to be a general of an army. He was trained to sit on the throne of Egypt if necessary. Get this, guys. Okay? But when God says, I'm going to use you, right? We know that Moses' haste caused him to kill a guy. And it got him evacuated out of Egypt, exiled for 40 years. You think prep looks like, well, people need to recognize me and I need opportunity and fake it till you make it. It's not. Moses spent 40 years a general of sheep. Red carpet, poop carpet. Get this. And 40 years later, he's now 80 years old. Get this. The bold, proud, hasty guy that killed an Egyptian in his righteous social justice. 40 more years later, 80 years old. I've anointed you. I've heard the cries of my people and I'm sending you to go and tell Pharaoh to let them go that they would come and worship me. And Moses said, I can't. I see things differently now. I've come a long way. We have to let God fashion us, guys. Okay. Paul had Timothy. Can I just say this? I I was about to say it before and then I got onto Moses. So I'm going to say this right now. We've been taught that, and, and please, I'm not 
devaluing or dishonoring anyone, but I want to make a point here. The Old Testament had guys like Paul going around and strengthening the churches, but it had local pastors that would actually, and, and, and the full apostolic, they were small churches, it was a brand new church at churches at that time, strengthening the churches. It wasn't just an itinerant free-for-all. Do you get what I'm saying? I got a gift, we'll travel. <laughs> Today, I look, at, I look at Christian culture, this is what I see. I just see people going everywhere. I see big names, and I don't see, and this is not in general, but this is maybe a lot, maybe a big percentage. I see a whole bunch of people trying to be something. People didn't worship Paul. He did, he did have to quench it a couple of times, but people do tend to want to worship stuff. But I don't care how awesome and how anointed somebody is, one of us isn't going to save the world on our own. God didn't say, I'm going to raise one pope to do it. He's anointed us. He anointed the, the, the apostolic is for the equipping of the saints so that every one of us does it. Now, equipping is akin to discipleship, by the way. Okay, I need to keep moving. I'm going to tell a quick story and then I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> There's a guy I know. He's been in ministry for 40 years. He has a very large church, beautiful campus, massive organization. Everything's paid for. And after 40 years, there's not one son around him to carry on what God birthed. That is the greatest failure. Success without a successor is failure, guys. But I want to say this, we need to get up. The Old Testament, you could actually see in the Old Testament, when a man of God was raised, one person would come along and catch a mantle. One mantle. In the generation we're living in, I believe that mantles multiply. Come on. You want proof? Go look at Jesus. Jesus didn't just find one favorite and say, okay, you're going to be the new Jesus. He anointed people, breathed on his guys, and they went out and they started doing the same thing. But we have to posture ourselves to catch and release. Catch and release. Okay, I need to keep moving. Someone getting something today? First Kings chapter 19. I'm going to touch on this one real briefly because Pastor Don's going to go after stuff tonight and I don't want to take anything away from what he's wanting to do. So he departed there. Now this is, this is Elijah. This is Elijah. And he's coming to meet Elisha. So he departed there and found Elisha, the son of... Now, I always try, I struggle with this word every time. Shaphat. He's probably going to pronounce it better than me. Uh, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me go kiss my mother and father, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what, I, what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back to him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Now, and then he rose up to follow Elijah. Now, part of our problem, guys, is we believe discipleship looks like someone throwing a shirt on us. We've been so conferenced and so churched that we believe 
you can have what I've got is going to make you walk in the same power. And it's not true. It's an invitation to die so that you can carry something like that. (laughs) Pastor Don said so perfectly last night, I can't give you my history. And that's the key. It's like I've said before, I can't give Benjamin a, a Ferrari. He's five. He'll kill himself. You have to learn, like, you know, when I, was, when I was 16, and you can have a car and drive at 16 in New Zealand, I wanted to buy the boy racer car like all my friends. And my dad took me to the auctions, and we bought a piece of junk. They see me rolling. I had this little, now, I'm a big dude. I had a little thing called a Fiat Uno. And it wasn't a cool one like they got now. It's the old school one. I called it Lucy. That's true, I called it Lucy. Man, I drifted that thing on gravel roads. It was pretty amazing. Before Tokyo Drift even came out. But we think because we can associate with someone... And this is, a, this is a sickening problem that if I just get around someone and, just, and I just get close to them, other people will see that I'm close to them and I'll start to have the same favor. That's called prostitution. There ain't really not a nice way to package that for you. I'm sorry, but it's just called prostitution. Did you notice that Paul back, back here in Philippians, he said that he served me, served with me in the gospel. He served alongside me. You guys ever seen those baton races in the Olympics? Do you notice that the dude... Jeff, can you just run up to me for a second? Just go from there. Do you notice that the guy that's waiting to run isn't just standing there like this? (laughs) When he gets to me and I really feel his presence, I'll start to put some energy into it. I have to start running too. And I have to start getting ready so that he's going to start. You need to keep with me here, bro. <laughs> and see, I have to run with him for a season because the previous generation is catching up, but he can't go where I'm going to go. Come on. And I have to learn to run at his pace. Come on. And I have to learn how not to get hit by the enemy. And I have to learn what it looks like to walk in wisdom and integrity. And I have to learn these things because at some point, He's going to drop off and my pace continues. Come on. Come on. Someone getting something. Served with me in the gospel. Didn't become my servant. Didn't become my slave. Served with me. We both serve the same king. Okay? Because a lot of, and I I really could just go on this for weeks because i got a lot of pet peeves around this because a lot of the culture is so messed up. We have these interns that we treat like dirt, and we call that discipleship. Now, while that stuff's awesome, see, I, I, followed, I followed my pastor. I paid my own tickets, followed around the world, carry his bags. He didn't even treat me that well at times. But that's okay, because I actually wasn't doing it for him, although I was honoring him as a man of God and the vessel. I was in relationship with Jesus. 
because he's my primary discipler. If you try and get something from a man that you were supposed to get from God, even if you find someone awesome like Pastor Don, there's going to be disappointment because you're trying to get God out of an earthen vessel. Now, even though Jesus, the hope of glory is in him, I'm supposed to get this privately with God, then I'll be able to serve him in purity. And then I won't idolize him because I've already got my idol. Do you get what I'm saying? Come on. Timothy served him and he became like him because Timothy had things to obtain. He had a calling, yes. He had giftings, yes. He had a right desire, yes. But there was stuff and fashion. Look, if, if you look around, the guys that are around me, come here, Anton. I don't, I don't force people. Come here, come here, Tanner. Come here, Jake. I don't force people to look like me. Do you see the same clothes? No. You see the same haircuts? No. I'm not saying I'm doing it perfect, but this is what I am saying. God made these guys, come here, Jeff. God made these guys unique in their own skin. I have to get what's in here and put it in here. I don't need to reshape how they talk, how they look, how they act. And I have to fashion the character and the value systems and the wisdom and and the integrity. That's what I have to fashion because I trust that God is their God. I'm not their God. Come on, somebody. But there has to be honor in order for that to be received. There has to be trust. The first thing that I try and establish with a son is that there has to be trust because if you don't trust me, I won't be able to hurt you to help you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bless you, guys. I've been to some churches where you meet the pastor and then you meet the pastor and the pastor and the pastor and the pastor and the pastor. I'm like, this is weird. It's like one of them science fiction movies. This is a body snatcher sequel. <laughs> Freaks me out. But I want to I get this. Check this out. And I don't want to take anything away from what Pastor Don wants to say tonight because look, God's speaking, there's a bit of overlapping going on. Okay, But when Elijah put his coat, which is otherwise known as his mantle, on Elisha. If you notice, Elisha didn't just go, bing, I'm anointed now, see ya. He came along. This is, this is actually, if you guys want to learn a little bit about discipleship, this book out the back here, I talk a lot about it. It talks about the office of the prophet, but it's actually viable for every Christian believer. Okay, this is what I wrote in the book. I'm just going to read it directly verbatim from the book. Elisha was already established and set up, True. Family business was doing good. 12 yoke of oxen. You were wealthy at that point. Okay? Which means he had 11 servants, all kinds of awesome stuff. But he had to humble himself and detach from a title that he thought he had. He had a title. He was the rich kid in town. And he was clearly a good kid because he was out working. He wasn't watching from the palace eating grapes. Hello? He was humble enough, which this is a key right here. There's a key. God doesn't pick you because you're awesome. God picks you because you're positioned. You're not awesome. And there's 10 people that are better than you. Listen, I, I, I've seen over my life people that are so much more anointed at me, but they're not doing it because they weren't willing to humble themselves. They weren't willing to die daily. It's not that we're the best. We're not. We're just willing. That's the, that's the difference. And look, anyone can be willing when the anointing's flowing. 
That's why I said what I said the other night when, part, when Brother Mel was talking. But can you be willing when you've just been corrected? <laughs> Pastor Don was talking to me. He's like, oh, you know, you finally get, someone says, would you please disciple me? And you're like, okay, well, we can talk. And then you have a little chat and say, hey, man, there's a couple of things we need to work on here. And then two weeks later, oh, the Lord's been really speaking to me. He's moving us on. You have to be willing when you've been corrected. See, that's the true test of discipleship. I, I could go for a lot longer. I'm going to land by four, okay? Is that all right? This is something that the Lord showed me once. When, shaka baba, pour it out, Lord. The alabaster box is here. Thank you, Jesus. When the, actually, when the alabaster, that's exactly what I was about to talk about, was the alabaster box. Shaka baba, pour it out, Lord. When the alabaster box was getting poured out on Jesus' feet, Judas steps up in his piety and his little greed, because he's a little thieving devil. See, you can be close to an anointing. Just because you've got proximity doesn't mean you're getting it. You can even have an opinion and tell people about it and be all high and mighty in your prophetic gift. Don't mean you're walking in holiness. Okay, so Judas is like, oh, that should have been sold and given to the poor. Because Judas was the treasurer and he used to take from the money box. Thieving devil, sin consciousness. Come on. And then Jesus turns around and he gives them this really gentle little career. It's like so gentle you almost don't even catch it. He's like, no, no, no. The poor will be with us always. But what this woman's done is going to be told everywhere the gospel is preached. Now, to someone that's walking in pride, that is a monstrosity of an insult. And it came from Jesus in church. Okay? Okay? And not long after that, if you just read a little bit further down, and Judas started figuring out how to sell Jesus. Discipleship gives you access to vulnerability, and it will also test you. The test does not come when you think everything's awesome and Jesus has just handed out the bread. Judas isn't manifesting then because he's friends with benefits. But the second correction comes, then he's seeking out how to kill him. I mean, Jesus, I don't think Jesus was actually trying to kill him, but he was definitely figuring out a little devil deal. Because when he figured it out, the devil had opened his eyes and he was like, I need to go kill myself now. But then watch this. Peter, the blundering fool, can, you, can I just say this? I'd rather be a disciple that's a blundering fool and have a good heart than someone that's sophisticated. And that's a devil. <laughs> Peter is in, the, he's in the garden. He's got good intentions, but he's got no filter. And sometimes we've got no filter and we need someone to love us through that. Okay? Listen, it's better that someone loves you through that and puts a little correction on you than you carry on being an idiot. It's because it's really embarrassing and you don't know it, but everyone else does. Okay? Peter's like, no, Lord, we'll never leave you. We'll, I'll die with you. I'm awesome. <laughs> Shut up, devil. Get behind me. Now, can you see the difference between the two levels? It's actually pretty aggressive what he said to Peter slash Satan than what he said to Judas. One made it, one didn't. It's not about your talent, it's about your heart. It's about your willingness to be corrected, not be flattered. Because anybody can tell you you're awesome. Go post a Photoshop picture of yourself on Facebook and all your friends are going to say, no, oh, you're so beautiful. It's Photoshop, dude. 
It was three filters later. <laughs> Come on, I'm speaking some truth right now. This is, and then if you post a real one, it's like no one likes it. It's all just terrible. Oh, I just really pray the rapture's closer than it was yesterday. <laughs> so Elisha had to give up a title that he thought he had, the knowledge that he thought he had, the value that he thought he had, the security that he thought he had to get a mantle that he did not yet have. And just because that little, hey, and if you notice, by the way, guys, this is, this is another thing I just want to point out. Do you notice it in the Scripture that not one person chose the person that would teach them and impart to them? The fathers choose the sons. The mothers choose the daughters. But the sons and daughters can posture themselves in such a way where they're irrefusable to a father that's willing. Get that. Okay, anyways. Some of you will chew on that for a little bit, but I want you to get that. Because there's just kingdom principles that work. Okay. Okay. And it wasn't until years later that you actually see the full embodiment of that empowerment drop onto him. What was in between? Walking with the man of God, talking with the man of God, serving the man of God, watching the man of God minister, and learning. Didn't mean that he was insignificant. Didn't mean that he was overlooked. He was still part of it. He just wasn't the big guy. And if we can let that season burn out our lust for this thing here, if you can let it burn that out, you'll become a servant. Because Jesus was a servant. Okay. I've got a few minutes to land. Is everyone okay? I know I'm going a little longer, but this is important. And then we've got a two and a half hour break and Pastor Don is going to rip the heavens open. I'm gonna, you guys need to bring friends. It's going to be all. Did you guys enjoy last night? Yes. Thank you, God. Okay, let me, let me wrap this up. What are we doing here? You'll find in today's church culture, training structure looks more like a school or a classroom rather than a true discipleship relationship. Everything in kingdom is relationship. It's not information. Now, we, we teach and we train. That is a framework to get you to a place where you can actually act right in a relationship. That's one of the things we go after big time in Fivefold in Singapore. It's teaching you how to posture yourself around people that actually can pour into your life. It's so important. And, and like I said before, walking with Jesus in such a way where they don't have to start 15 years ago, you can actually have Jesus iron a whole bunch of stuff out where you're actually ready and postured to go further. Okay. Because in this generation, a lot of people are actually needing to be parented on a, on a child level rather than taught on an adult level. If you notice, Elisha was actually already walking in adult responsibilities. He wasn't getting out of bed at 11 a.m. every day. Okay, we'll leave that right there. The problem is, is that we overvalue our gifts and we undervalue our character. Okay. Okay. I think I'm just going to go, I'm just going to move towards wrapping this up. I was going to try and pray for everyone today, but I think we'll probably just have to do this tonight. Okay. Real quickly, let's go to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. True discipleship is going to cost you, man. It's going to hurt. We want it to be easy. We want it to be full of like, you know, the, the, the fluffy bunnies. 
but it actually, and it, it is, and it's, it's really awesome. Like, good discipleship relationships are awesome, but they're also uncomfortable. Because someone's going to have to go there. Can I just say this? A true father or mother is going to have to take the greatest risk and go into your darkest place that you don't even let your parents or anyone go to and try and dismantle it. That is a huge risk. All your benefit, none of their gain. And we need to start looking at it like that. Okay? So, so uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. This is Jesus. And now he was going out on the road. One came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher... What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except that, no one, sorry, I'm going to start that again. No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, do, uh, sorry, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's a pretty powerful little additive in there, isn't it? He loved him. That word loved, I believe, is that he saw potential through the eyes of the Father. Fathers see potential that you don't. Mothers see potential that you don't. You see your gifts, but they see destiny. And you need a father to release destiny, man. You need that more than you need anything else outside of your walk with God that is Watch this. He loved him and he said to him, one thing you lack. This is discipleship right now. You've done all these good things. You can see it. Jesus did it in the book of Revelation to the seven churches. He said, all these things you did well. That's actually how God taught me how to disciple with people. As he, God always lists the things you do well. And then he addresses the thing that you're messing up in. To invite you in deeper. Not to make you feel like a failure to invite you in deep. Drop that off so we can get in deeper here. Come on, we need, we need to change our thinking. We need to, this generation, we need to drop the orphan thing off. This generation's had more teaching on the father heart and the orphan spirit, and yet we need to shift some of the stuff still. Okay. One thing you lack, go and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow me. Now, this is amazing to me, this right here, because this is the one time, the one time that anyone came to Jesus that other than the ones Jesus specifically uh, initiated and invited that Jesus offered discipleship to. This is the one time. Legion just gets delivered, has an amazing world changer evangelistic testimony, wants to come. Go do your job. Tell everybody. But this guy, this is the one guy. Now, maybe some of you scholars have found someone else. But for me, this is the only guy that I've found that he comes to Jesus. And Jesus goes beyond his question and says, come, follow me. He was telling him, like we heard the other night, he was telling him, I want to father you. Come on, guys. Watch this. There's a cost. You have to go sell everything that you're currently worshipping. You're wrong about a lot of things. You've done so many things well, but you're wrong about a lot of things. Watch this. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful because he was awesome. 
True discipleship is going to cost you guys. It's going to cost each one of us, and it's going to cost us for life. It's going to, be, it's going to cost you everything to be a disciple of Jesus, and it's going to be a, uh, cost you to be a disciple of like the Apostle Paul. But if you do it, the legacy of heaven will pass in the baton, and you'll start to carry something. And when you do, you'll shift from just being one that's being fathered or mothered to fathering and mothering in time. Our job is not just to find one. My heart, I want to see a lot of people that I can father and mother in my lifetime because I understand that when I die and go up, I want to look down and I want to see a lot of trails blazing. Now, what if we all got that idea that the fruit of our lives would see trails blazing from the stadiums of heaven? Come on. We need this, but there's a price, there's a framework, there's a formula, and we have to run. We have to disengage being churched, and we have to start being discipled by the King of Heaven and then letting the ones that He brought to us. This is something I recommend if you've never been discipled or if this is foreign to you. Don't go find five people. Go find one that you can start to posture yourself around because if you have multiple voices, you're going to start getting confused. As you grow and you, and you get established, multiple voices start making more sense. Is this helping somebody? So I just pray, I'm going to close right now because it's one minute to four. Can we just stand to our feet? My prayer over each one of us is that we would have the courage to pursue authentic kingdom discipleship with the Spirit of God and with a man or a woman that would be able to speak into our life respectively, that would be able to fashion us and bring us wisdom and counsel that would posture us, that would pull the gifts forward, but also at the same time pull character and integrity out of us and wisdom and excellence and the things that are going to cause us to have success. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, every willing heart that you would respond and that you would start to shift things right now in the name of Jesus, that we would learn to deny ourselves, that we would take up our cross and that we would follow you, that we would count the cost and that we would give all so that you would get the reward for your suffering. In Jesus' name, make us fishers of men, God, and help us to be fathers and mothers. Jesus' name, amen.